In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Perhaps no text is more offensive to our modern sensibilities than this account of Jesus and the Canaanite woman. In the first place, Matthew calls this woman a Canaanite, a name that is typically reserved for the ancient enemies of God and his people. And then, of course, we have Jesus' treatment of her. In the first place, as she comes to him, crying that her demon-possessed daughter might be healed and saved, he answers her not a word, ignores her. After she cries out a little more, he then rebuffs her. I came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he says. As she cries out yet even still, he finally insults her, and not only her, all Gentiles with her, calling them us dogs. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, he says. As one modern commentator puts it, Jesus is arrogant, racist, and downright mean. Perhaps no text is more offensive to our modern sensibilities, to which I would say, good. It's precisely our modern sensibilities that need to be offended. If it isn't evident to you already, it probably should be. We are living in an age of mass apostasy, an age of mass falling away. There are many, many Christians who are embarrassed and offended, not by the wickedness of the world, not by their own thoughts, their own words, and their own deeds. No, they are embarrassed and offended by Jesus. The word apostasy comes from the Greek word apostasia, a word that means to stand down from or away from. So we see and are reminded yet once more of this very simple reality that there are only two kinds of people in this world, whether they bear the label of Christian or not. There are those who are offended by Jesus and thus stand away from him. And there are those who are offended by their own sins and thus draw near to him, draw near to him for his forgiveness. So, I've titled this sermon, Be Offended. Seems like today everyone is looking for some reason to be offended. Your choices this morning are you can be offended by Jesus or offended by your own sin. Now, what can we learn from this woman who comes crying out to Jesus on behalf of her demon-possessed daughter? In the first place, we must pay very close attention to what comes out of her mouth. Because I guarantee you that Jesus does. In fact, what comes out of her mouth affects everything that follows. She was crying out, Eleison me, me, 
curiae. You might recognize that language from our liturgy, where we cry out, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. Eleison me Kyrie, she says. Now hidden in these beautiful words is this reality, that she approaches the Lord and we approach our Lord not as those who are deserving of anything. In fact, truth be told, if we're deserving of anything, It's temporal and eternal punishment for our sins. It's to be rebuffed and rejected outright by our Lord as the final word. She comes to our Lord Jesus and we come to our Lord Jesus not saying, I deserve this or you owe me or I'm entitled to this. Rather, we simply come with open hands saying, Lord, have mercy. Fill my empty hands. Grant me my prayer. Give unto me what I need. In the second place, she continues, Eleison me Kyrie, Uios David, son of David. Now maybe those words, son of David, didn't catch the ears of the disciples. Maybe you, like me, haven't even caught those words or the importance of it after years and years of hearing and reading this text. But where on earth does this Gentile woman, this Canaanite come up with this language whereby she calls Jesus the son of David. This woman, Gentile though she is, has been taught the Old Testament scriptures. There is this figure, this son of David, David the king and his son who is going to reign forever and she plainly, boldly confesses, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are this king. And because she knows this, she knows too what the Old Testament scriptures teach. That Jesus is not only the king of the Jews, but he is the king of the Gentiles also. The king of the whole world. She believes that Jesus is this king, this Messiah. In other words, she's a Christian. And that is the key to understanding everything that happens next. Jesus knows that this woman is a Christian. He knows what has just come out of her mouth. And so we're going to see that Jesus, in fact, treats her as one who is greater than his own disciples, as one who understands what they do not yet understand as one from whom they must learn. If you blow on a candle, that candle's going to go out. And as the scriptures say, Jesus will not snuff out the smoldering wick. He will not blow out faith. If you blow on a candle, it'll go out, but that's not true if you blow on kindling that has been lit. It's not true if you fan a campfire blowing on it. When you blow on kindling or a campfire, watch out, the fire rages up. 
And that's precisely what we see Jesus doing with the faith of this Canaanite woman. First, he ignores her cries, and her faith flames up all the more. So much so that even at the very beginning, Jesus' own disciples can't take the heat, and they want her to go away. But she won't go away. She knows who he is. She knows what he's going to do. Her faith is burning hotter and brighter. So Jesus blows on the flame once more. He says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The ESV, as we just heard, says that the woman next kneels before Jesus. But the Greek says no such thing. She comes and lays prostrate before him and worships him. So bright and warm is her faith. Lord, help me, she says. And he will. He knows he will. But not yet. He's going to fan the flame once more. This time with a huge gust that would blow lesser faiths entirely out. It isn't right, he says, to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But far from snuffing out this woman's, this Gentile's faith, Jesus has just made her faith shine so brightly and with such intense heat that even today the wicked cannot stand it and they become offended at Jesus. And the faithful cannot help but stand in awe and be offended. Yes, deeply offended. But not at Jesus and not at this woman, but at our own egotism, our own smallness, our own little faith. It isn't right to take the bread of the children and throw it to the dogs, Jesus says. Yes, Lord, the woman says, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. We are almost blinded by the light and consumed by the holy fire of this great faith. Here is a faith which is burned with such brightness and warmth that 2,000 years later we can barely take it. Our hearts, too, ignite. She is, as the ancient church fathers used to say, the mother of the Gentiles, the embodiment and type of the entire Gentile church. She who is nothing in the eyes of the disciples has become their teacher, their teacher and ours. Jesus offends us precisely because he humbles us. And he humbles us precisely so that he may exalt us. A smoldering wick he will not put out. This is true. But he will blow on the kindling. 
he will fan the flames of your faith. There are times when he will ignore you or seem to. There are times when he will rebuff you or seem to. And yes, there are even times when what he does will feel like an insult, something that cuts deep to the heart. Will you be offended by him? Or will you, like this woman, cry out to him and cling to him all the more? Will your faith burn brighter and hotter than ever before? I suppose that depends greatly upon whether or not you know who he is, whether or not you know the intensity with which his love burns for you, a love so intense, so bright, and so warm that it caused him to come from heaven to earth, that it caused him to take upon himself your flesh, and not only your flesh, but your sins, every last one of them. And not only your sins, but in order to save you, he would bear the sins of the whole world, from the greatest to the least the least of our hatred for God, our cold apathy, all the way to our greatest hatred, pure atheism and rejection of him, anger and hatred in our hearts. All of this he in love dies for. So too with our anger and hatred toward our brothers in whom we find the image of God, our constant despising and looking down our nose at others, or else feeling jealous of them and despising them all the more. This, too, he dies for. The same is true for our lust, whether it's simply the glance that is indeed wicked and evil and filled with lust, or the full enactment of our lusts as we engage physically in apostasy, departing from the holiness of our Lord and the holiness that he has bestowed upon our bodies. For these things he dies for. So too for our theft from the little things, our time, to the great things, embezzlement, to the even greater things, where we are stolen away in our vocations from those who need us most, spouse, and children, and church. In love, he dies for these things as well. So great, so light, so warm is his love, it can be comprehended in no other way than on his cross, where he gives and sheds his body and blood for us. And here at this altar, where that same body and blood of his great love he gives for you, for the forgiveness of all your sins. His love toward you burns so hot and so bright that not only does it devour and destroy all your sins, utterly consume them in holy fire so that there is nothing left, but it also burns bright to change you, 
to ever more and more burn away the old Adam, the old sinner that remains in you. God loves you so much, he will not allow you to remain as you are. So, since everyone else in the world these days seems to be offended, I would say the same. Go ahead. Be offended. But don't be offended at Jesus. Let us be offended instead at our sins and at the smallness of our faith. Let us humble ourselves before Jesus as this Canaanite woman once did. And he will exalt us. He will answer our prayer. He will have mercy upon us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.